You're listening to episode 188 of Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchborg, Director of Marketing here at the Seminary. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Reverend Paul Ipema continues his three-part series on effective pastoral visitation. Having already covered visitation with the elderly in our previous episode, Reverend Ipema now focuses on the important but often challenging task of visiting troubled youth within the church community. I'm Paul Ipema, Assistant Professor of Ministerial Studies at Mid-America Reform Seminary, And on today's podcast, I'd like to address the issue of pastoral care or pastoral visitation uh, for troubled teens. Uh, And I, again, would say at the very outset of this podcast, uh, I have to issue a disclaimer. Uh, I wish I could say that uh, both as a pastor and as a parent that I've been exemplary in terms of dealing with teenagers, troubled or otherwise, Um, but that has not always been the case. Uh, Certainly as a parent, I can attest to uh, my own failures and shortcomings. But I do believe it's important uh, for pastors to to reflect upon how to minister uh, to our youth, to our covenant youth, particularly those who are troubled. And I I think when I think of troubled, I think those who are, are wrestling with uh, the, the concept of faith in Jesus Christ, those who are getting into activities or patterns of behavior that are um, alarming, troublesome, things that cause uh, distress to parents and to others. Um, I've also encountered uh, teens who deal with struggles uh, with parents, uh, struggles of varying sorts, uh, where there is a lot of tension at home, and sometimes I've even been called to uh, intercede between parents and children when things have uh, reached the, the breaking point, as it were, and parents feel that they can no longer communicate uh, with their children. Much of what I have to say today is uh, more anecdotal and uh, reflective of, of my own experience and my own uh, observation as well. But I think uh, we would do well as pastors and, and even as elders, as those who are called to shepherd God's people, uh, to pay careful attention uh, to the youth of our churches. Um, I think a lot of damage can be done uh, by one of two extremes, either by um, ignoring the youth of our congregations, uh, not listening to them, not paying attention to them, not engaging with them. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, I think pastors and elders can cause great damage by being very heavy-handed uh, with the youth of the congregation. I've witnessed that as well, where uh, elders and pastors, perhaps with the best of intentions, uh, act in a way that is... Uh, overly harsh, that is unsympathetic, uh, that does not encourage dialogue between uh, pastoral leaders and uh, the youth of the congregation. And I would also say, as I've been saying all along, that um, the degree to which pastors and elders and people in the church, the adults in the church, engage with the youth of the congregation uh, will be 
reflected in the trust that the youth have for uh, the leaders and the adults in the congregation. If, if the pastor remains uh, uninvolved in their lives, uh, he shouldn't be surprised if the youth feel as though the pastor isn't really interested in what's going on in their lives or doesn't uh, really seem to take notice of, of the specific challenges or difficulties uh, facing teens. Uh, it's also why I have always been a firm believer, in, and again, this is based upon my own experience as a child growing up. Uh, I think it's important uh, for pastors to be engaged in the educational ministry of our youth. Uh, I am a firm believer in teaching catechism. In fact, I would say that my personal preference would be that I would like to teach all the catechism classes. Uh, that may seem strange today because I don't know how many pastors do that anymore. Um, you know, there was a day when pastors did the bulk of that educational ministry, and that may or may not be the wisest thing to do. But one of the benefits of that sort of engagement was there was a, a link uh, between the pulpit and the classroom. There was a link between the pastor and the youth of the congregation. I can tell you that some of my fondest memories uh, of educational ministry come from my first pastorate where I taught all the catechism classes from uh, grade 5 through grade 12, so grade school and, and high school. And uh, it was a, a, a joy to me. It was thoroughly delightful uh, to interact with, with these children, to get to know them. And for them to get to know me, I found that uh, there was uh, a benefit, a mutual benefit, when uh, the pastor is engaged at that level. They see me as I am apart from the pulpit. They get to know me as a person. And uh, there's a level of trust uh, that's built up, and, and uh, they see, too, that I'm concerned for them. I love them. I, I care for them as someone who seeks to be uh, a shepherd. So I would say uh, get engaged. Uh, you know, I don't know that every pastor has the gifts necessarily to teach all the catechism classes or, say, lead the youth group. I've done that as well. I don't really consider that to be one of my strengths as a pastor, um, but if necessary, maybe some time needs to be spent as a youth leader and uh, spending that time not simply uh, drilling them in matters of theology, but just talking to them, just getting to know them, understanding the world in which they live. Again, that's part of the idea of uh, exegeting a congregation, exegeting the youth of, of the congregation to get to know them. What's going on in their lives? Um, one thing that I discovered, for example, just to give you one um, illustration of this, I remember in a catechism class, a high school catechism class years ago, I had asked the question, um, how many of you in class uh, on a regular basis eat dinner with your, your family, with the rest of your family? And I was shocked to discover that only a, a small percentage of the high schoolers uh, actually spent time at the dinner table with their families. Uh, work or school activities or other things that were going on in their lives um, demanded that they be away from their families. So time that was often spent uh, in among other families, I would say in previous generations, in personal devotions or family devotions, time of conversation, time of talking about what's been going on in the day, those things are minimized, if not eliminated altogether. And it makes uh, for a very challenging situation for parents to get to know 
um, their children and for children to engage with their parents. Um, I think there are certain pitfalls that uh, parents and pastors and elders need to avoid in uh, ministering and pastoring and visiting uh, the youth of the congregation. And the first is uh, establishing a pattern of behavior that almost uh, communicates an adversarial type of relationship uh, where parents or pastors or elders are, are spying on their children, uh, lurking in the dark, as it were, either figuratively or sometimes uh, literally spying on their children, seeing what they're doing, where uh, you know, what it communicates is that there's a lack of trust and uh, it causes uh, great frustration, embarrassment, and anger in our children. And I think we want to avoid that pitfall as well. I, I've seen that by way of extension, even with elders doing the, the work of church discipline, where uh, elders engage in what, what I would call something similar to a, a police stakeout at somebody's house or somebody's place of work. I don't think that's the ideal that we want to communicate. I realize sometimes People are not responsive to our attempts to reach out to them. Sometimes uh, we do have to pursue them, but I think we want as much as possible to avoid an adversarial uh, relationship. I think also another pitfall is uh, disengaging from uh, our youth, whether it's done out of frustration, uh, whether it's done out of apathy or laziness. Sometimes disengagement is, is an act of frustration. Uh, where you know you've attempted to talk to your to your youth, you're, you you've attempted to talk to your children. It hasn't produced the results that you want, or there's pushback from your children, and so it's just best uh, to keep things quiet and calm by disengaging. I think that's a recipe for disaster, uh, both as a family and as a congregation. You must engage the youth of your congregation, and I would say another pitfall that parents and pastors and elders need to be cognizant of is, you know, the difference between being an authoritarian figure and being someone who has an influence uh, in a, the life of a child or young person. Um, I think, again, sometimes with the best of intentions, sometimes based upon the knowledge of one's own experience as a pastor or as a parent. You don't want your children, you don't want the youth to make the same mistakes you've made. And so there's a, a heavy handedness um, rather than letting uh, children and young people to discover for themselves, not not the consequences of bad behavior, but wrestling with these things, discussing these things, having room for dialogue, um, being an influence in a positive way, uh, drawing out from them um, an understanding of what is wise, what is godly, what is truly Christ-like for them as, as a young person. I'll give you an example. Uh, Paul Tripp tells the story of, of his brother's ministry where um, apparently a, a, a parent had discovered that his little son, his young boy, had, had been taking money out of the offering plate in the church. And of course, he was mortified, the, the father was, by this behavior. So he was going to teach his son a lesson. And so he uh, took his son to the pastor's office after the worship service one Sunday. And uh, he, he said, you know, with a, with a sense of not only authority, but a sense of disgust, you know, my son has been taking money from the offering plate. Uh, 
and I want him uh, to confess what he's done. Um, it was almost as if he was bringing a, a criminal to the uh, the court in front of the judge. And so um, what surprised this father was the pastor's response. The pastor's response was uh, to say to the boy, I'm so glad that you came forward. I'm so glad that we have an opportunity now to talk about confessing our wrongdoing and talking about what it means to be forgiven in Jesus Christ. And the father's just appalled because he thought that that boy was going to take a real browbeating from the pastor, you know, give it to him with both barrels. And I think that many, many parents and many pastors and elders uh, understand that, that sentiment. You know, I want to give it to them good. I want to teach them a lesson. But um, this pastor said, no, we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about God's grace. And the result was that little boy not only confessed his wrongdoing, but he stuck his hand into his pocket and pulled out another dollar that he had taken previously. So the point that Paul Tripp was making is that when we create a climate of, of grace and forgiveness, uh, there are good things that can result from that rather than simply browbeating people. And I would say another pitfall that we ought to avoid, uh, and I think even pastors need to be careful about this from the pulpit, um, is the use of reckless or careless words in terms of how we speak to the youth. Um, sometimes we can say things out of frustration, again, out of anger, the heat of the moment. We say things that are hurtful. We say things that are gross exaggerations of, uh, of the situation, and they cause far more damage than they bring about healing. And then I would say finally, uh, another pitfall to avoid is majoring in minors. And I think all of us who are listening to this podcast know from our own experience growing up, I can say from my own experience as well, there were times where I didn't understand why my parents perhaps were so adamant about things that looking back seem relatively minor. But then as a parent now, uh, I too can look back on my own experience and there were times where I overreacted uh, when I, uh, I should have been more balanced. I should have kept my equilibrium uh, emotionally and otherwise and uh, emphasize that there are certain things that are more important than other things. Uh, because if we major in everything that we deal with, if we discuss with our children, uh, it will create a, an atmosphere of, of anger and frustration. It may even drive our children away from us. And then I would say, you know, in terms of what we want to teach and cultivate with our children, we want them to love the Lord. We want to demonstrate that in our own behavior. And I, I can't say enough about modeling uh, love for the Lord and impressing the next generation by our, not just our words, but by our actions, because our children watch us. And um, to learn the wisdom of Scripture as well, to teach children and young people to, to think out the consequences of ungodly choices, uh, the misery that sin produces, not simply saying, well, this is wrong and that's wrong, but understanding the why and understanding the motivation of godly behavior, of honoring God and seeking to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we want to also encourage communication, good communication, faithful communication, regular communication. And if that can't be done, for example, at mealtimes, 
uh, it will have to be done at other times. And for pastors and elders, I would say, uh, again, use educational ministry as an important tool. Uh, address the children and young people in your sermons. Uh, make it clear to them by your communication that you have a love and concern for their spiritual well-being and that, uh, as I often did uh, at the beginning of the catechism year, the educational year, one of the first things I would do is I would take my catechism classes to the baptismal font and explain the connection between the sacrament of baptism, what God had said to them and to their parents at baptism, I will be your God, you will be my people, and seeing catechism as the way in which we seek to respond to that promise of God in his covenant and that we are directing them towards the day when, by God's grace, they will make a public profession of faith. So I would simply say, don't neglect the youth, love the youth, be diligent in ministering to the youth, make yourself available to you to the youth, and again, expend that energy so that it will bear rich fruit as those young people grow up into adulthood. Next week, Reverend Ipema concludes his series on pastoral visitation by focusing on the sick and dying. Make sure you tune in next time here on Roundtable. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with friends or family. Your support helps us bring more engaging content to your ears and helps us foster not just a community of lifelong learners, but thoughtful practitioners. I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.